0: You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High fm Hello and welcome to High fm This is Rabbi Levi Avtson, and we are on the Farbringen show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon, <clears throat> although this is recorded on Tuesday and it's, it's actually two hours before I'm just pre-recording it. Unfortunately, I have to go to a funeral. And please, God, we should only have simchas and good things. Um... So although we appreciate whatever comments come in, unfortunately, we won't be able to read them on air. Thank you so much, FM, to accommodate. So here we go. Last week, we mentioned that hopefully the theme that we want to carry through the year is courage. And last week, we spoke extensively about the courage to be an optimist, the courage to believe that things will work out. And we explored how... It's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to believe that the doomsday scenario is what's going to happen. It, that's why I think every moment since history began, there's always been one naysayer coming and saying, Armageddon is coming! It's actually two hours before. I'm just pre-recording it. Unfortunately, I have to go to a funeral. And please, God, we should only have simchas and good things. Um, so although we appreciate whatever comments come in, unfortunately, we won't be able to read them on air. Thank you so much, Chai FM, to accommodate. So here we go. Last week, we mentioned that hopefully the theme that we want to carry through the year is courage. And last week, we spoke extensively about the courage to be an optimist, the courage to believe that things will work out. And we explored how it's so easy to be negative, It's so easy to believe that the doomsday scenario is what's going to happen. That's why I think every moment since history began, there's always been one naysayer coming and saying, Armageddon is coming. There's always somebody. I guarantee you there's no time in history where people, at least some people, did not believe that it's only going to get worse. And yes, we've had dips and dives, but ultimately, we're living in a great place. And as we've mentioned so many times, if you were given an option to choose when to live, you would have chosen today. Um, living primitively a thousand years ago or five hundred years ago. Sounds very glamorous when maybe you watch it in the movies or you read about it, but it was far from glamorous. But that was the theme of last week. Today I want to explore a different kind of courage. In order to do that, I want to start with the theme of this week's Torah portion. Rabbi Lipsker gives an awesome thought on the Parsha every single week. and I hope he will forgive me if I just take a little theme of this week's Parsha. This week, we read about a character named Yisra, Jethro, who happens to be the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses. And the name of the parasha is actually called Yisra. Now, the story about him is that previously he was an idolater. We're told that he served every single idolatry that was available at the time until he realized the falsehood of bowing down to a piece of stone, the falsehood of bowing down to the dust on his feet, and eventually he came to his own understanding that there must be a God, and eventually he chooses to convert. But he never really suffered the the slavery in Egypt. He wasn't part of the Exodus, neither was he part of the splitting of the sea. But after he hears of all the miracles, we're told, he comes and joins the Jewish people in the desert. This is just before, or according to some commentaries, after the giving of the Torah. And there he is, and he sees something that happens. He sees that one person, his son-in-law, is working too hard because one person took responsibility to judge millions of people. And he comes up with... What seems to be common sense advice, and he tells Moshe, his son-in-law, not a good idea. Now, I have to say that's the only time in recorded history that a father-in-law told a son-in-law to stop working so hard. As they say, behind every successful man is a surprised mother-in-law. But I guess this in-law was actually great, and he he advised his son-in-law to take it easy. And Moshe seeks the advice of God, the input of God, and God agrees. And so, an entire section of the Torah is a story about how Yisro, a new convert, an outsider to the Jewish community, comes and advises the most powerful Jewish leader in history, and God agrees. Not only that, this is the Parsha, this is the Torah portion in which we read about the Ten Commandments. Now, God could have placed that story in any Parsha. God chooses to place the story of the Ten Commandments, which is the single most important event that has happened in history, where the relationship between God and the human being began, he chooses to make that story, to place that story, in the Torah portion named after Jethro. That's quite a merit. So you have to ask yourself, what exactly was this guy's genius? I mean, wasn't it common sense? How in the world was Moses supposed to lead three million people and advise them on all their issues? From the morning till the evening. And there's various commentaries and various ways of exploring it. I want to take a very simple, um, basic approach. And that is, maybe other people knew that what Moshe was doing didn't make sense. But maybe they didn't have the courage to comment. And maybe it was Yisro was an outsider, or maybe because he was a father-in-law and he wasn't so intimidated, he had the strength the courage to talk. Often, the difference between people who make a difference and the people who don't are not in how wise they are, not in how clear they are, not in a tremendous set of talents. It's just one of them, The successful one, had the courage to speak up. Now, when you think of the word courage to speak up, you think of standing over there and screaming your lungs out. That's one version of it. But 9 out of 10 times has nothing to do with demonstrating. It's not about screaming loudly and having billboards in your hands, which un- which are important at certain times. Most of the time, it's talking kindly, but talking. Saying what needs to be said. It takes a lot of courage to talk. And we see it each and every one of us in our own lives. It's not easy to share what needs to be shared. Even those simple words like, I'm sorry, I love you, I care about you. How are you feeling and actually listening? Those things are not easy to say. They're easy to write down. And I'll be honest, it's very easy for me to sit on the radio and say that those words are seemingly easy to say. But in real life, they're difficult. You know, after a complicated day in a relationship, to still turn to the person beside you and say, I love you, is not simple. After your kid or your spouse or somebody or your sibling or anybody else you're in a relationship with gives you grief or you give them grief or you both give each other grief, as the famous one goes, it says like this, in the first year, he talks, she listens. In the second year, she talks, he listens. And in the third year, they both talk and the whole street listens. It's easy to fight. Then the question is do we, after that, have the courage to sit there saying, I love you? I still care about you. We'll sort this out. The courage to open our mouth and share our feelings. The courage to open our mouth and share our thoughts. The courage to just talk. To have a difficult conversation, whether it is in front of a therapist, whether it is in front of a close friend, close friend, whether it is with yourself. But talking isn't easy. I mean, they always say talk is cheap, but that's usually trash talk. That's just nonsense, talking about the weather, or about a piece of clothing, or about a celebrity gossip – sports zuma whatever you want that's that's nonsense that's not called talking that's chit chat that's important it's a it plays a vital role in life i used to believe when i was younger that every single conversation you have to have with a person has to be a deep meaningful conversation that's heavy i realized that ahnvey oh, that doesn't work sometimes you just have to have light conversations not you know a marriage or a relationship between parent and child can't only be made up of heavy conversations because that just becomes a therapy room there has to be light conversation fair enough But when we talk about the courage to talk, we're talking about those heavy conversations, those important conversations, and to do them in the correct manner. It's easy to bottle up emotion. It's easy to keep things to ourselves. It's easy to not say the obvious. I mean, think about it. How many kids are sitting traumatized because their parents never told them I love you or they weren't exactly affectionate? Now, if you would ask that parent whether they're alive or not, but if you were able to ask that parent, do you love their child? Of course they would say yes. So what was the issue? Why didn't they say it? Often because they just couldn't get themselves to say it. It's hard to say certain words. It's hard to talk. It's not an easy thing. Chaim Umaves beyad Loshen, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, said that life and death are in the hand of a tongue. Literally, our mouth can control life or death. Now, we often think about that that it refers to gossip, that we could destroy somebody's life that's true but it's also that we we don't take our tongue seriously enough to realize the power of words to make people feel loved the power of words to, to articulate what we feel when i was younger i never really appreciated the power of words but at the, my late teens i started writing and Suddenly, I realized that maybe all those teachers who drive us crazy to spell correctly, grammar, how to string a string of sentence. There's something to it. I mean, some of them might be difficult, but there's something very powerful in grammar. There's something very powerful in saying a statement correctly. Often, you could go to a wedding or you could go to a beautiful event and the, the, the groom or the father or somebody else is talking and they're saying all the right things, but they're saying it wrongly. The courage to say it well, the courage to, to realize the power of a word, that the same sentence can be said in many different ways. I mean, you could tell somebody, gosh, you know what, I love you. Or you could say, I love you. Love you, cheers, bye. Or look in them eyes and say, I love you, have a great day. And suddenly the same words get on a tremendous meaning. There was a great sage who used to say that Lush and Hara, that gossip, it doesn't take it words to talk gossip. You could gossip with your nose. You just give a person a little tweak with the nose and they, they could get offended. A little look of disgust, etc. The power to say the word, to say the word with passion. Often a person will get up and say the word just because they have to, but they're not saying it correctly. And in many ways, they're diminishing. And they, the, the whole point, that in many ways, they shouldn't have opened their mouth at all say it. Say it with your whole heart. I often wonder what makes the difference between a good speaker and a bad speaker. Yes, uh, some of it has to do with talent. But I think most of the reason that some of us speakers resonate with us and some don't is not about the material they choose. It's how they say it. Do they say it with their heart? Do they put themselves into it? Do they realize, do they have the courage to stand up and say it with their whole heart, to be fully present, to be wholehearted in their presentation? Or are they walking, away, standing over there reserved, hiding behind the words, allowing the words in themselves to be two separate entities? The first word of the Ten Commandments in this week's parsha is Anochi, when God came to the Jewish people and said, I am God, your God. And the word Anochi is not a Hebrew word, we're told it's an Aramaic word, and the word, the four letters, Aleph, nu, Nun, Chaf, and Yud, the rabbis teach, can be the four letters that begin four different words. Anon, Nafshi, Ksavis, Yehovis. I, says God, Nafshi, my soul, Ksavis, I've written, Yehovis, I've put in myself. I've put myself into my writing. I am there in the words that I say. You can find me in the verbiage in the words. Because to to really give over a message, to really show affection, to really sh- transmit a piece of knowledge that has to come wholeheartedly, you, the speaker, and the message have to be one. Have the courage to throw yourself in. To put yourself and the message as one. To be able to share something with your whole heart. To not be afraid of the power that happens when you throw yourself into it, when you throw yourself into a project, when you throw yourself into a relationship, when you're all out there, again, it's easy to chit-chat, it's easy to talk nonsense, but to talk real words, to talk with your heart, that is where courage is needed. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtzen, Associate Rabbi Linksfield-Schul, here on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringan with Rabbi Levi Avtzen on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Soul to Soul. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtzen, Associate Rabbi Linksfield-Schul, here on Soul to Soul, the Farbringan show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. And today we're tackling the idea of courage, the courage to talk. And specifically, not the courage to demonstrate, which obviously takes courage as well, especially when people live in tyrannical regimes and places where talking is not exactly accepted, which is actually happening in our time, whether it was in Iran recently, whether it's happening in Russia. And that takes tremendous courage. And maybe, you know, we could bring about that a different time. But today we're talking about the courage to really talk out in small settings, in our milieu, in in the places where we're comfortable, you know. We think we're comfortable in our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our communities, and to talk out with dignity, not to scream, not to carry big billboards, not to demonstrate, which obviously has its place, but you don't exactly demonstrate against your spouse. Hopefully, when your spouse comes home tonight, you're not holding banners, screaming and saying, no justice, no peace, or some other wonderful slogan, Um, you better love me or else. I am about to pack my bags. It's not exactly the the way to bring the relationship back in order. You know, and you hope that when you come home your kid is not standing with a <laughs> with a poster and saying, I'm not going to school. If you force me to go to school, I, I hereby quit this house and I'm gonna go up for adoption. So in, in relationship demonstrations usually don't work. I would say most of the time. What does work is conversation and hard conversations. Sometimes it's to talk a lot, sometimes it's to talk a little, sometimes it's how we talk. How often do we take notice of the importance of how we communicate? I learned the lesson specifically when it comes to uh, written correspondence and emails. Whatever workplace environment you're working in, chances are you rely a lot on emails uh, or WhatsApp. And what you realize is how The one word of communication which is said wrongly can cause tremendous havoc. I remember one time I sent an email correspondence and I wasn't exactly careful and it came across a bit harsh. And the response that was evoked from the person I sent it to, although I didn't intend it to be harsh, it came across harsh, was a very harsh response. And then I had to work on repairing the relationship because in the eye of the receiver, it seemed like a break of trust. Why am I being so harsh to them? Often in relationships, specifically at the beginning of a relationship, beginning of a romantic relationship, WhatsApps, which are said, you know, which are usually short messages, can be totally misunderstood. And that's why I often recommend people who are dating or at the beginning of the relationship to stay off WhatsApp. You could cause a lot of heartache and a lot of heartbreak by just a little misunderstanding What did he mean? What did she mean? What could have been meant, etc. And then, by the time you have the courage to ask, by that time you've caused yourself tremendous grief. It's usually very unhealthy. Relationships don't exactly belong on Facebook, um, Messenger, or, or WhatsApp. It deserves the dignity to take the communication seriously. And I often wonder if our relationships are healthier. Now that we have WhatsApp, I'm not talking about, you know, that the fact that we're distracted by our phones, but I'm talking about the fact that we're communicating so often, but the communication is so cheap. Rather than the wholesome conversation. So once upon a time, I used to call my mother overseas and have a wholesome conversation. But now, because we're communicating on WhatsApp all the time. By the time I called, there's not much to say because there's nothing that she doesn't know. She's seen pictures of her grandkids that day because WhatsApp allows her to see 50 pictures a day. She's been updated by everything that's going on in my life because I'm just sharing it with her on voice notes or just WhatsApp messages. So in many ways, it's a constant communication. On the other hand, the quality of the conversations, I would say, in many ways went down, which is a sad point. As somebody told me, WhatsApp brings close people further and far people closer. So in many ways, the people that I didn't communicate with, I'm much closer to friends who I haven't spoken to in 20 years. Um, just uh, two months ago, a, a class group that was open for my eighth grade graduating class. That's when we graduated primary school. And now suddenly I, I'm seeing names that I haven't seen in 20 years. And it's incredible and it's wonderful. But in that way, it's great. But the people that I'm supposed to be close with, has it really helped my relationship? have i lost the quality i often talk feel that when you read communications of past years let's say a person that communicated 50 years ago i was reading recently a book that was authored in south africa about this person who escaped the holocaust and how he communicated with his family during the holocaust um who were there, they were in germany it was a very powerful book and each letter is full of so much warmth and detail and nuance and the author of the book was able to string together a life through those letters, which maybe were much more sporadic than our WhatsApp communications today. But I asked myself the question, if somebody was was going to document the lives that we led in 2018 and they're going to look to find it. So maybe they're going to get access to our WhatsApps. Maybe by then the government will allow them to get access. What lives are they going to understand from our WhatsApps? What are they going to understand? How are they going to understand how we left lived? Based on the emoji we used that morning, it was a sad emoji? It was the wondering emoji? It was the crying emoji? How exactly are they going to string our lives if our grandchildren want to understand the lives we lived? We're not leaving them with much rich communication. There's very little about our feelings that we know. So we'd like to believe that we're the generation that has real feelings. I'd argue that that's nonsense. Why is it nonsense? Because We're not getting the opportunity to express ourselves in real conversation. You could only really articulate a feeling when you have the headspace. I remember when I was 19 years old, 18 years old, I went off to yeshiva. And at that time, and it's not that long ago, calling from Israel to America was relatively expensive. So what did I do? I penned a letter. And I took that letter very seriously. I rewrote that letter five times. And finally when I wrote it, it expressed so much of where I was at that my parents kept it for months afterwards because it was a genuine communication. Today the conversation goes something like this. Hi Ma. How are you? What's up? How's he? How's she? Everything cool? Mm-hmm. Uh how are you feeling? Uh what did you eat for supper today? Mm. How the kids? The kids are great, fantastic, incredible. Uh yeah, now once in a while obviously I'm not you know saying that it never gets deeper but often I just look around myself and the people around me the communications are constantly shallow. So maybe we have a deep meaningful conversation with a therapist but genuine feelings and sh- genuine sharing and genuine realness like I often read the communications in books that come out of people that lived fifty, sixty years ago. They were very vulnerable in their communications. They quetched and they cried and they and they they vented and they they shared love and it was a it, it was a real human experience. Today, it's just I don't know. You agree with me? We don't feel. We're not feeling. We're not the courage to talk. The courage to to, to express in words. I know your grammar teacher chased you away from words, but I'm telling you, words are so powerful, they're so evocative, they're so rich. The difference between saying you're sad and you're angry and then to express yourself. Why you are feeling what you're feeling and how you're feeling is such a rich experience. And you don't have to look any further than the Bible itself. I mean, just look about the times that Moshe complains to God or he thanks God or he negotiates with God expressing himself, and at times when Moshe's angry, he's saying, Hashem, did I give birth to these kids? Do I have to carry them like a nurse that carries the the infant that they're nursing? At other times, he's threatening God and saying, God, if you kill the Jewish people, erase me from the book that you have written. I don't want to be part of this Torah. He's communicating in power. Why are you being difficult and evil to this Jewish people, to this nation? He's sharing it. It's a Genuine relationship. Today, we're so politically correct. We're so careful to share emotion that often as leaders, as parents, we don't share real emotion. So then you have an extreme. So you have a guy like Donald Trump that comes and says everything in his mind, which is definitely not the answer. Just, you know, tweeting from his bedroom at six in the morning, whatever you know floats his fancy, which definitely isn't the answer. But I think what, what the, he's a symptom of a world that's not sharing. So he just went to the other extreme. The pendulum always goes to one extreme to the other. And all the racism and anti-Semitism that we see rising is just another extreme of 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 going from one side to the other. They're coming and saying, you don't let me say anything, I'll say everything. And the truth is, no, you shouldn't be either extreme. You shouldn't say every crazy thing that comes to your mind. First of all, get it out of your mind. Second of all, don't share it. And you shouldn't be a person that can never share anything and watch their words so carefully that there's no actual genuine emotion. Everything stoic and cold. To, to share, to love, to communicate, to, to, to experience the gamut of what life offers us. And you don't have to look any further than Moshe Rabbeinu, than God himself so much of the torah is communication between god and people and between people and people if it's jacob talking to his talking to his wife it's abraham talking to the kings and negotiating with and you know working things out if it's moshe constantly talking to the jewish people if it's god talking to moshe how many times does it say the four words Five words, Vayidab er Hashem, Moshe, Lamer, God spoke to Moshe, communication, the whole Torah. And what else is the, the books of prophets where it's God communicating with the prophets and the prophets communicating with the Jewish people, having rich conversations. What is the book of Isaiah? And what is the book of Yirmi And what's the book of Ezekiel Yecheskel? These are all books of communication. And some of the conversation, communication was harsh and difficult, but they had the courage to get up and say it. How often was Yermio, Jeremiah, lambasted for the communications he gave to the Jewish people, but he knew that the only way he could hopefully save them from their own self-destruction is by communicating and constantly talking with respect and dignity, but with firmness and the confidence to say what needs to be said. There's very few people that talk with their whole heart. Often you go to a simcha, a happy event, and you're just standing there, and the groom, the bride, etc., they're hiding behind cynicism. They're talking, but instead of talking with their whole heart, they're hiding behind cynicism. Now, comedy has its place. I love comedy, and I think comedy has a huge role, but often comedy is just a way to cover over our lack of vulnerability to share with our whole heart. So we become cynical, and cynicism is dangerous. Because cynicism is an avoidance mechanism. It allows us to avoid dealing with the real issues. And I believe with all my heart, and maybe you might agree, that cynicism is just creativity and passion gone ori gone wrong. In other words, you never find simple people, you know, average people who are not necessarily that talented, who are cynical. Usually the cynical people are people who had so much potential, but for some reason, whether it was their own circumstances, it was, you know, the the cause of circumstances or their own bad choices, they never got the opportunity to exercise their creativity and their passion and their vision. And then that same thing turns into poison. And I believe whenever you see a cynical person, you could be guaranteed that once upon a time, before there was a swamp of poison in their heart, There was a pond of fresh water, of creativity, but for some reason it never got used. We have to make sure that we don't allow the creativity in our heart, which would be flowing water to turn into stoic and unmoving water that just becomes a sewage, becomes filthy, dirty, smells terrible, just because we didn't have the courage to use our creativity correctly. When we find ourselves... Falling into cynicism, we can be sure that we have gone down the road of avoidance. We've avoided our real emotions, and we have to ask ourselves, what's behind it? What's going on? Why have we gone down that route? You're listening to 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avtson, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chul, here on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Opson, associate rabbi Linksfield Schull here on Soul to Soul. And we are today talking about the courage, the courage to talk. It's a beautiful Tuesday in South Africa. Weather's nice, a bit cloudy. Hopefully it clears up. And today we're talking about the courage to have conversations, to talk, to communicate with all our heart. Today, we use the word vulnerability to be vulnerable with all our heart, wholeheartedness, and to communicate authentically. Very few people communicate authentically. It's too easy to just read from a paper some speech that was prepared by somebody else, or even by yourself, and just read it out. And you think it's because you're shy. Now, some people are shy, but most of us. Shyness is just an expression of that we're self-conscious. We take ourselves too seriously. And because we're self-conscious, we don't put ourselves out there. In many ways, a low self-esteem is just a flip side of ego. Because you're so self-conscious, you're not sharing with your whole heart. You're shy. But that's ego. You think that shyness is opposite of ego no it's not because if the moment is calling for vulnerability and our self-consciousness is getting in the way and therefore we're too shy to share with our whole heart that is ego our self our status our feeling at the moment is overtaking what is needed at the time so for example unfortunately today i have to go do a funeral and when you stand over there and you, and, and, and you can be self-conscious and not give your whole heart when you're giving a eulogy over a person or when you're officiating at the funeral, you, you take out the meaning of the event. And for the family, it's such a powerful event and it's the role of the officiator to be able to somehow tap into the energy and be vulnerable to take in the energy of the moment, the pain, the hurt, the sadness. And engage, But if the, if, the, if the person who's officiating is self-conscious, there's no way to do that. If you get up and you talk at your child's wedding, or a rabbi gets up and talks on Friday night, and they're self-conscious, there's no way they will be able to engage the community. Shyness, which is often seen as an attribute, obviously modesty is beautiful, but I'm referring to shyness, that self-consciousness that comes out when we get so intimidated to talk in front of people. That's ego, most of the time. They often say that people prefer to die rather than talk in public. In other words, they prefer to be in the casket rather than giving the eulogy. (laughs) Now, that's crazy. That doesn't come from self-esteem. That doesn't come from humility. Oh, I don't need the limelight. Oh, give me a break. Often when people say they don't need the limelight, it's not coming from a place of humility. It's coming from a place of self-consciousness, and that's different. Now, obviously, if it's coming from a place of humility, then kala kavod, ultimate respect. There are times that all of us should have the courage to sit down and not talk. But nine out of ten times, the reason we're not talking has nothing to do with humility. It's ego. You're sitting in an intimate setting. You're sitting at a Friday night table. And the reason you're not telling your kids you love them is because you're self-conscious. That's not a good thing. That's not humble, that's ridiculous. You're standing at your own child's wedding and you're, you're, you're afraid to let go. Often I stand at a wedding and I'm just baffled that the parents are so busy with details. At the wedding itself, they're surrounding their child by the chuppah. And instead of just fully taking in the moment where they're just standing with the child under the canopy and they're about to marry their child off... They're looking around, uh, screaming at the photographer to do this, or asking their sister to make sure that this gets to the hall, etc., etc. Just get in, be in the moment. What are you afraid of? You'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll feel their emotion. Why are you so afraid? Let go. I remember when I was younger. Until today, often I struggle to let go. I remember one of my mentors was screaming at me. I was sitting at a. Fabringen, which is something I'm trying to do here on the radio, I hope it's a semi-half-decent imitation of the real thing. This is a real Fabringen, two in the morning, people are singing and engaging, and I'm sitting on the side, I'm not fully getting involved. And he screams at me and he says, Levy, stop being a journalist. Right now, you have to be part of the process. Stop being a journalist and being outside, looking at everyone and seeing how involved they are. You get involved yourself. And for me, I've often screamed that message at myself at various different stages. Stop being a journalist. Now is not the time to sit there, standing on the outside, looking in, but be in the inside. Feel! Like, well, from all, we're standing at the weddings, we're standing on the sidelines, looking at how people dance, waiting to prepare what we're going to tell our spouse when we drive back to the wedding. Oh my gosh, did you see that? Oh, the musician was incredible, blah, blah, blah. Those people, they danced out of their mind, etc., etc., etc. Why are you being a journalist? Now is not the time. No one cares. Get involved. Get real. We're afraid. And we hide behind wonderful words like shyness. I'm humble. I don't need the limelight. Really? There's a mitzvah to dance in front of the groom. There's a mitzvah to cry with a mourner. It has nothing to do with shyness. It often has to do with the fact that we cannot feel. We're afraid to feel. So, you could, unfortunately, we, we sometimes have to go into a shiva house. And you see that people are sitting at a shiva house and they're talking absolute rubbish. Why? Not because they're bad people, heaven forbid. But because they're uncomfortable in the space. Facing death, looking at the mourner and asking them about their parent, how was the funeral, engaging the mourner, listening to their pain, even if they're repeating the same story for the 10th time that day, but they feel the need to repeat it. It's difficult. You have to put yourself out there. You have to go out of shallow state and into deep state. Excuse the pun. So it's much easier to just swim in the shallow and just talk about, you know, oh my gosh, did you hear one last night? Oh, I didn't watch TV, but I heard the Man United did this, blah, 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 and just stay in the shallow, but engage, to walk over and hug with all your heart, to stand by a mourner and just give them a hug and don't say anything because they don't need your words. How many mourners have told me I wish people didn't open their mouth and talk nonsense? Just come there and hug me. And if I need to talk, I'll talk. And if I ask you a question, I'll ask you a question. That's why, even according to Allah, when we go visit the mourner, we should not start the conversation. They should start the conversation. Because at times, they don't want to talk. And they're entitled to their silence. And they don't have to be entertainers par excellence for all those who come to comfort them. They can be stoic and cold and, and reserved. Whatever feelings they need to feel, they're allowed to feel them. And we have to respect that and just walk in and give them a hug. That's all they need. You could chit-chat for a half an hour and you're not adding any value to the life. And you could just walk over and give them a hug and cry on their shoulder. Remember the famous story I, I read it a while back of a certain individual who lost their only child. And everybody was walking in and offering words of comfort. And it was just making the person's heart harder and harder. And finally... A great sage walks in and gives that individual, the parent, a deep and deep hug and cries on their shoulder and he feels the tears of that individual rolling down his, on his shirt and he says for that moment he felt an ounce of comfort. Because that was real. The courage to feel, the courage to cry, the courage to laugh, the courage to dance at somebody's simcha with all your heart courage to experience the courage to sit around the friday night table and and fully love those people around you and share that love the courage to share your feelings with the people close to you to tell your parents what they mean to you to tell your spouse what he or she means to you to tell your children what they mean to you to allow them to tell you what you mean to them and that's often even harder because to say is often harder than to listen I remember one time hearing Rabbi Manus Freeman talk and he says, often when somebody tells you, I love you, what do you respond? I love you too. He says, that's a terrible response. And I remember hearing that and saying, that's not, why? Because you're just throwing it back at them. Instead of them giving them the space to share their feelings to you and you just taking it in and saying, thank you. That means so much. You're just saying, I love you too. In other words, we're equal, so I'm not going to take this compliment too seriously. I'm just throwing it back at you because I don't want to feel vulnerable. As much as we want to be loved, we're threatened by that love. It's so overwhelming, so we just say, I love you too. Just say, I love you, and just take the response. Just take that and feel it. Say it and not expect anything in return. Uh, Hear it and don't give anything in return. The courage to feel the human experience. Because if we ask ourselves a question, of the 50 years we've been on this planet, 20 years we've been on the planet, 80 years, how many of them have been filled with rich emotion? How many of them were we fully present in the moment? Today we use the word mindfulness. Not enough. Why do we need funerals and other events to make us mindful? Why can't we choose to be mindful as much time as possible, to live there, to be a Pnimi, to be authentic, to be there with all our heart, to talk with all our heart, to learn a lesson of Yisrael, the father-in-law of the greatest Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu, and talk with respect and dignity, but talk and share what needs to be shared. Often people think that the only way to engage with leadership When they disagree is to scream and shout, send nasty emails, make threatening phone calls. Those are the people that are never taken seriously, and those are the people that they diminish themselves through that. All of us can make an impact if we talk with warmth. I have not met a true leader yet who does not want feedback, as long as it's said with respect. We all want to grow. We all want to change. We're all welcome feedback as parents, as individuals, as people. Just say it nicely. Say it with your heart. Say it without malice. Talk wholeheartedly. Talk with respect. Talk because you love me. Talk with kindness. You're listening to Rabbi levi Upson, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shull. And I sign off. And I want to wish you on this beautiful day that may we all be blessed with greatness in our lives as we enter the holiday of Tu B'Shvat, the 15th day of the month of Shvat, the birth of trees, the birth of freshness. To be like a fruit. To, you know, when you eat a fruit that's raw, it tastes disgusting, and it gives you a stomach ache. But when you eat a ripe fruit, you dip your teeth into a nectarine, And the richness, it's refreshing. Let's be fresh fruit. Let's be juicy. And let's our relationships be juicy, fresh, and sprout like a tree. Wishing you a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.